Hi, and welcome to Gomology, a podcast about menswear and clothing, old and new, from a perspective of buying, wearing, evaluating, appreciating and collecting. The idea is to provide a non-fashion view of what men might wear if they knew more about it and the stories that go with. There will likely be no mention of tailoring or pocket squares. This is episode four of season zero, and in this episode I talk with Nick Hussey of From Jackets about his philosophy when it comes to designing garments for his brand. We talk about jacket design, the influence of classic jackets, what needs a jacket needs to fill, and whether it's okay to collect jackets. Welcome. Okay, Nick. Um, you're Nick Hussey from From Jackets. Um, relatively small, relatively new jacket company. And we're here today to talk about your design ethos what you like about jackets uh, and I'm sure you could kick things off by telling me about all the old jackets you're a huge fan of uh, so it's quite interesting I hope that I am not an aficionado of jackets and by that I mean that I absolutely love jackets and I'm fascinated by jackets but I probably couldn't tell you a great deal about the specifics of jackets in terms of the names and where they were made etc um, I'm not particularly romantic about that. Um, I have a very sort of uh, annoyingly pragmatic view of jacket design. Because I'm only interested in what works. So when I'm looking at a jacket from the past, I'm probably thinking about well, how I can improve it. Um, and really what's going through my head when I look at designs of the past is, is, is really my brain is just sort of formulating the lines and cuts that make sense. And it's this sort of unspoken classic perfection that we often refer to that that actually in terms of looks is fantastic but in terms of what it actually does for you as a wearer that, that i want to improve uh so the answer to lovely jackets i've loved in the past is if you look at my range i love harrington's and i love field jackets but in terms of specifics uh, there probably aren't any Ooh. which I... is different from you i think well, yeah, and I also have exactly I, I, what you said then about jackets, I could say about vintage cars, because when I look at a vintage car, I see all the points that could be done better with 50 years of technology and development, which I think is what you're saying when you see a jacket, you think, hmm, that could be improved. But yeah, I, I do also like and collect uh, classic jackets. Um, not a huge amount. I did have an interesting project recently where I was thinking about all the traditional British brands and how most of them have a jacket that they are most known for. Mm. And it would be interesting to collect one of each. Uh, I quickly found though that it wasn't necessarily the ones they were most known for that I liked. Um, the Burberry Trench, say. Whenever I see from World War One, I, I think, wow, those trench coats look way cool. But then I see the Burberry trench worn by people in modern times, and I think, nah, it doesn't really work for me. And I, so, um, so it goes along the line. I, I deliberately sort of avoid uh, seeing too much other work, whether that's past or present. Um, I, for some reason, whatever it's been, I picked up this sort of uh, aesthetic view of how I see the world. And that's essentially a classic menswear view. And I, something 
probably the well definitely the most money I ever spent on clothing for myself was at Savile Row in London. so I love clean lines um, but I also love the flair and, and what I found is when I was younger I used to go a bit bonkers on the flair and it's my mum always said to me uh, when I was a teenager Nick you're wearing too many stupid things just wear one stupid thing and then it'll work <laughs> and I'd be wearing a bandana and a Hawaiian shirt and stupid trousers and wacky shoes and uh, slowly I realised that, that actually, oh, <laughs> just a little bit of that and probably is flair for me these days in my mid-40s is a bit of, it's a red care label. Very subtle. Uh, on the inside. Because, and that comes from, for instance, Oswald Boateng and Christopher, just forgotten the name of my suit, uh, on Savile Row, um, who, who would hide bright colours on the inside of classic fabrics. Um and those are the things that got me excited and just sort of went in, um, along with military wear. You know, military, it, we all, I think, love, but, but not because I'm a militaristic person, because I love things that work. And military gear must look good and make you feel proud of what you're wearing. But ostensibly, it must do a job. Hmm. And I love things to do a job, and I get very upset by things that fail to perform. Hmm. But that, going with the military theme, yeah, I mean, military wear has to have the utility value. It has to perform, it has to let you move, it has to do all that. But then again, it also has to cut an imposing silhouette because you want to look dangerous, at least in, in the field, which is, an, which is an interesting and not often mentioned feature of it. You see a, a soldier with his, all his kit. I mean, one thing is you look totally anonymous because you can't see his face most of the time. But they also look tough as hell, mm. scary to, for the enemy. I um, I've got a Swedish um, military coat. I thought it was forties. I think it was actually fifties. Um, but reading for my previous company, Volpine, and how I was thinking, and it was um, incredibly that really heavy old wool, um, totally impermeable, bombproof, but incredibly heavy and uncomfortable. And I can remember thinking, this is such a beautiful jacket, but it's so annoying to wear. And I really wish I could have both of those worlds together. Is it the uh, one with the sheepskin collars? Uh, it didn't have a sheepskin collar. It was uh, sort of fern, pale fern green. It had the Swedish military metal badge sewn onto it and uh, brass buttons. Okay. And uh, it was... And that was a jacket I absolutely loved. And at a time where I didn't have much money, I probably got it about 20, I don't know, 18, 20 years ago. Got it from a charity shop, fell in love with it. And not thinking I was ever going to start a clothing company, just thinking, just liking clothes, just looking, going, God, this is such a compromised jacket. Probably not for the time. It's probably, you know, fantastic for the time. But now there's some better choices. So that's what came in and then my interest in sport and cycling and in terms of pure performance where cycling gear basically is awful you would never ever wear it to the pub i mean the pub is the sort of classic litmus test for style and you walk into a pub in cycling gear and you look like a pillock whereas i mean there's no really no way around that because it's purely for performance it's aerodynamic it's wicks away sweat la 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 but so I thought, and this is where Volpine, my previous company, came from, was, okay, what if I take pure performance and pure style and try and meld the two? And that's really what I, where I go to. And so, you know, it's this constantly trying to marry style 
and performance and innovation and tradition because I don't want to spoil tradition and make a jacket that looks silly and I don't want to completely respect tradition so much that I don't improve it. Yeah. So you don't have a massive archive of historical garments, a huge vintage collection that you draw inspiration and... Uh... Looking, so my literally my archive is over there and it's not very big, there's nothing to show, but my archive is actually the samples of brown jackets. My archive's up here. I, um, I occasionally look at old photographs of Hollywood stars and beautiful men and interesting figures in history and just uh, think what, what makes them charismatic or what, what makes them different. Like I was talking about James Dean. James Dean had a sort of an incredible charisma and he was wearing a red Harrington on a white t-shirt and I just made a red Harrington this year. And that probably is a bit of a tradition homage in what I did. I, I did definitely get influenced by the image. But what I tend to do is, so I, I'm, I'm very sentimental and romantic about people and I'm completely unsentimental and unromantic about things. And what I'm thinking about is the person. I'm always thinking, how is this guy gonna wear it? How does it make his life better? Does he feel good in it? Can he carry his stuff? What if his baby's sick on his shoulder? And, and I love, I actually think real life is very romantic. And I, I mean that genuinely. Uh, and I don't like clothing to make someone into a peacock. And that peacock can't move around because the feathers are, you know, get stuck in the door. I don't, I don't like that side of clothing. I like the side of clothing where you can go and do the things that genuinely matter, but still look great. And so, yeah, I'm just looking for little hints. I mean, I'm not, Fram doesn't innovate style-wise particularly. I'm not trying to innovate style. I'm trying to take classics and make them work. So, because uh, I'm, I'm skirting away from fashion as much as possible, because I, 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 I'm not comfortable in the fashion world. I'm comfortable in the workwear world. Would, would you say you're making pieces of enduring value that will be look as good today as they will in, say, 10 years' time? And... I hope, yeah, absolutely. Well, they, 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 that's the point of what I'm doing, is uh, I'm making things that last. So you buy a, a utility field jacket for Fran, that's £400 in the UK, and um, that's an investment. It's meant to be an investment. It's meant to, not meant to be an expensive jacket, you know, because it has a brand on it. It's supposed to be a jacket that has a lot of thought and care put into everything that it has, and it has a lot of longevity. So that will give you a lot of uh, value long term, and that gives me pleasure. Um, and And so... I look at Bellstaff jackets from, uh, there's a guy, him, I, I didn't, haven't seen if he's on, but Ryan Mallinson, who's a guy I've spoken to many years, he runs a little company in Yorkshire, uh, reproofing Bellstaffs. Yeah. And I don't get pleasure from seeing the Bellstaffs being reproofed because I like Bellstaffs and vintage Bellstaffs. I get pleasure from that because I go, there's a jacket that works. You know, I like that because I like that jacket because they used to make them really, really well. Fantastic. And that, it's interesting that, that that turns me on, whereas just seeing an old jacket, I just go, old jacket. <laughs> so, Oddly, when I see his photos, I, I see, oh, that's a really nice old patinated wax jacket. And I say, oh, he's re-waxed it. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and that's the interesting thing. And that's why I wanted to talk about this subject is I know that you have an amazing collection of jackets and you're very interested in 
vintage jackets. And I'm really interested in the fact that I don't see the world that way. Um, and it's, I don't think there's anything right or wrong about either of those viewpoints. I just find it fascinating that hopefully we meet in the middle because you like my stuff and I, I like what you do. But we're actually very different in terms of how we consume clothing, I think. Well, I think new jackets... How would you put it? I mean, they're not... It takes a while before they actually look interesting. Right. And, and this is strange that I should say that about jackets, because when it comes to jeans, I think a pair of jeans never looks as good again as the day you took them out of the bag all nice and indigo blue, and then they start degrading. But say a wax jacket, a new barber or bell stuff or whatever, it just doesn't look right. And I'm sure that would be for your jackets as well. A few years down the road when they've got some wear in them, they start looking good. And of course, that's when you need to re-wax. Well, uh, what's happening with my gear is that you don't re-wax them because it's, um, I use mostly British Millerain Stay Wax um and so it's a very different it, it's barely a sort of wax jacket really it it, it, it doesn't feel have that stickiness and so because that's that coating isn't coming off onto you or onto things because uh, it just is but it has it's really interesting the reaction that people have because i sell online i don't tend to meet people that much but when i've done events in the past people go oh it's a wax that's not a wax jacket because uh well <laughs> i've got one here um is it doesn't it's hard of course to tell here but it's very lightweight yeah and it's it's dry and it's matte and that's not normally the sort of textures and sensations you get from a wax jacket um and i can remember when i talked to british millerain i'm a big fan of their, their fabrics for a long time and i really wanted to use them for lots of uh sentimental and practical reasons and I, I was looking at their range, which of course includes classic wax. I just can't get on with it. I, I just think, ah, this doesn't work properly. You, first of all, the most important thing is, like, I once put a wax jacket in a washing machine just to find out what happened. Of course, you shouldn't. I've done that. I, I just thought it's a very, it's a re, it was a very, very bad idea, and it made me very unpopular. Um, basically the entire drum and the washing machine got filled with lard, just, just gunge everywhere. And the jacket was just, it was a horror show. It, it looked like it had been savaged. And uh, of course I'd done the, the stupid thing, but I'd done it deliberately. And I just thought, see, to me that just really pissed me off because that shouldn't have to happen. You shouldn't have to be so restricted in how you use a jacket that if you put it in a machine like you would with all clothing, you probably wreck the machine. Thankfully, I didn't. <laughs> and you definitely wreck the jacket. And that just, to me, you know, I'm trying to think, you know, eventually the nth degree to that is I make my utility field jacket. It's the first jacket we launched with. It's our most popular, well, best-known jacket. Probably the one, you know, if there's an archetype attached to the brand, it's that. It is if I take it to the nth degree, I'll be using a Kevlar fabric or something because the only thing that really it's now not designed to take is severe abrasion. You know, I make jokes about tiger scratches. Well, you know, if you take a knife, you can slash through my jacket. Yeah. Eventually, maybe I'd love to get to the fact where you 
it couldn't even do that. Although at the moment it will probably weigh about 10 kilos. So uh, mm-hmm. I'm not going to. A couple of things that come to mind. I actually washed a wax jacket as well. It was one I bought from uh, an old barber I bought from the UK. Incredible pattern. It looked wonderful. Uh, when I packed it out of the bag, though, it was so smelly. It was, you couldn't have it in the house. So I had it hanging outside for a few days. The smell was not abating, not at all. It was rancid. So I put it in the washing machine, lots of detergent, and I ran it twice, 40 degrees, I think. And it did actually stop smelling. Uh, water and detergent is the only way I've found that actually does remove smell from things efficiently. Yeah. Um, it did shrink a little bit, and all the wax was gone. <laughs> there wasn't a shred of wax left. And of course, all the patina had also gone. And when I then rewaxed it, it looked almost like a new jacket. But mm. the whole reason behind it was lost. Yeah. That's another tale of woe. This, um, it's, uh, there's a reason that we wash clothing, and it's not just to get rid of smells or dirt that we can see and be aware of quite easily. It's the fact that bacteria degrade clothing. Um, I, I've seen a jacket that wasn't an ordinary jacket, not a wax jacket, that was, was heavily worn for a year without being washed, and basically they washed it for the first time. The whole thing just fell apart. It just became shreds. Because it was the glue of the bacteria pretty much holding it together and because they create acid and all kinds of enzymes and things like that and so to me I find it quite hard to get my head around not washing something I actually don't like it so something I am is a great washer of clothing especially because I as one of the tests I put my gear through I wash and wash and drive my wife crazy doing it but um, because I want of course like with a waterproof jacket Generally, what happens with a waterproof jacket, and particularly a DWR, a durable water resistant, is that it, eventually that coating leaves. You know, it just gets washed off or destroyed, particularly by conditioner, etc. So, don't use conditioner. But um, what um, what I'm intrigued by is is there a point at which my jackets would degrade? And so this is the part of the hard end of the research I did before I launched Bram and I was checking fabrics out, which is laboriously just beating them up to find out what happens. And as you say, they, they look lovely once you get a little bit of fade and stuff. But, um, you know, no jacket is impervious to anything. But I think that, that every jacket should adhere to a promise and, and that promise of longevity. And it, that promise is... There isn't a contract, you know. If you buy a forty-pound jacket, your promise is very, very weak. And if you buy a half four hundred-pound jacket, you should be very, very strong. Um, yeah. So, tell me what your favorite. Okay, here's a stupid question everyone asks about anyone who's a fan of anything. What's your favorite jacket of in history ever? Well, that's a very tricky question. That's like asking me which is my favorite child. <laughs> uh, uh, and I'd have to say, sort of, uh, well, which type of jacket, for what use, for what purpose? Field jacket. Because uh, really, you could imagine there was one perfect jacket for everything, but yeah, there isn't yeah. really, because there's different weather, different temperature, different range of movement, whatever. Um, what, what's the first jacket? I, 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 I think the jacket is the 
most immaculately made, which is put, got the most effort into it, in which case it, it's, a, it's a bell staff like jacket made by Mr. Freedom, the Mulholland master, because the first generation of that made about 10 years ago. It's just so without compromise that even the fact that they made it is almost a miracle. Um, so it's detail and care that you... And the, the fabrics, the construction, all the little parts, all the thought that's gone into it. Uh, but maybe, I mean, that might be the best jacket for cycling off to work on a chilly autumn morning. Right. Um, so I think that's probably why I've got quite a few jackets. Um, then again, having a lot of jackets also gives you the other problem in that when do you wear them all? And uh, do you um, treat them all the same? Uh, do you sort of have them in a strict rotation? So you have two wears a year, say, of them. Right. <laughs> this is good. So this is I, um, I, I um, try and... Because the problem is... So, so Norway's quite different from the UK in that you have, obviously, this extreme of weather called snow and sub-zero temperatures, which we generally don't get, certainly not in some... Right, and but what you do get is a lot of constantly changing stuff. And I'm for somebody so why so I, I used to take a lot more care about my appearance than I now do. I've got to the point where I'm old enough that I've got a series of routines that makes it very, very easy <laughs> to get ready in the morning. And something I don't do is iron my clothes. Like it drives me crazy, but I can't be bothered. So I try and make stuff that makes that easy. And another thing is I'm a great grabber of the first jacket I see, and it's a terrible habit. And I'm, I, I don't do it now because I have to wear lots of different jackets. It's actually my job to. Um, but in the past, I would definitely do that. I'd wear one jacket until it fell apart. And that's one of the reasons I started my own jacket company, because I realized I love jackets so much. But generally, one at a time. Anyway, is I just thought, I need a jacket that has the greatest width possible in terms of British weather and that width generally tends to be somewhere between fairly cool and fairly mild which is a very British word for weather and a bit showery and a bit windy and it might not be and it might change and it kind of goes around that and so most of the front jackets sit in that widest area I like bell curves and bell, the bell curve weather in the UK is a bit mixed and a bit sort of reasonably what modern and stuff and so but then this would be on the edge of the bell curve this lightweight workers jacket i'm wearing because that's for quite nice weather because it's so lightweight etc and so i just what you said about having something that has a, a large amount of use as you try and get as much as you can but but now i have access to lots of jackets that i can wear <laughs> i actually quite like the fact that I'm in the unusual position of pretty much being able to wear a jacket for whatever I want. Uh, yes. But they all follow a very similar design ethos, which is about pockets, uh, double twin needle stitching, about relatively tough fabrics that have shower resistance or water resistance, etc., etc. because that practicality and style, but all very easy to look after, I guess. I think the most... A uh, usable jacket is probably something slightly oversized, so you can put a jumper underneath. It has to be waterproof, or at least water resistant, windproof, a good collar, good pockets. Something like that you can wear 80% of the year. 
the ten sunny warm days in the summer, you're not wearing a jacket anyway. And if it's really cold in the winter, where well, you're a bit cold those days. So you could feasibly, possibly manage just one jacket. Yeah, that really very in the UK more than um, Norway, um, but uh, I think that. So I, I think that the, the sort of minimum you've got is you've got to have a waterproof. So when it really, really rains, so you don't want a waterproof all the time because a waterproof uh, is just not breathable enough. You can have really breathable waterproofs. There's a lot of companies that say they're completely breathable and completely waterproof, which is a lie. It's not possible. It, physics doesn't allow it. But what you can get is the best you can manage, depending on the fabrics you research, etc., and its use, whether you're exercising, etc. But you need a waterproof, a proper waterproof. So I've got a waterproof in my collection for that purpose. And then you basically need a utility jacket. And a utility jacket means lots of stuff, but just something that has a, um, a as wide a general purpose as possible. The other problem with jackets, of course, or not problem, the nice thing is that you've got working life and social life and yeah. dog life and country <laughs> life and garden life and, and, can, and those intersect. And I... I really like that area. I want to wear a jacket that is smart to go to London, and I want to wear the same jacket to walk the dog. And um, uh, and that's it's interesting because I I can't currently afford to go back to Savile Row to get a beautiful Savile Row suit. And I wonder if I'd ever would wear a Savile Row suit again, even if I could afford one to go to London. Um, maybe my my sort of style, tastes, and my you know, uh, application for style has has diminished. I'm much busier with my working life and my sort of child-rearing life. I just can't be bothered anymore. Um, now, we've been through design, fabrics, so forth. Uh, what are your thoughts on sustainability, environmental issues, and so forth? Well, both the the trickiness of actually wanting to sell lots of jackets to feed your family and also wanting to sell a jacket that will last almost forever. Uh, and you also mentioned the DV DWRs, the durable water repellent, which I don't think there is in the Millerain fabrics. No. So, um, so I think the policy, so, so I'll try and summarize this. I'm trying to do this in three minutes, if we can, but although you said we could run over. So, so first of all, let's try and address this in turn. First, um, lots of jackets. So I deliberately made a small company. So Fram is over me, um, and so people help me out. Obviously, I have factories, but I only make 100 of each design maximum each year. And that changes a great many things. Um, and, and, and just that lack of... Uh, avarice is the wrong word, because there's nothing wrong with being bigger per se. But you don't want to become so big and so... The, I, I've gone about the way capitalism is purely around growth and growth means eventually you've got to stiff someone in the manufacturing cycle because you're constantly grabbing margin but i'm not whatever that is to do with corporate corporate world and corporate rest, i'm not touching it i just want to make really really good stuff that lasts a long time which is a really important environmental aspect the most important i think um beyond anything um which i'll go on to in a second i make a few jackets so i'm not 
tearing things apart. And with those jackets I do make, I want to make their best jackets to last the longest time. And within that, I then break it down so I want to make jackets out of the best stuff that's the least damaging. Now, the reason I think that the, the time and the length of use of a jacket is the most important is because it's the manufacturing processes timeline that causes the damage. All those fabrics have to be created, they have to be cycled, they have to be washed, you know, they have to be transported. If you do that once, and it goes through a longest possible period. So one of my best friends runs one of the biggest, world's biggest environmental charities. And so I go to him and I go, oh, what do I need to do that's better? And he tells me loads of stuff and I go, oh, go away and go, oh my God. And I just try and do my best. So for instance, um, I'm not perfect, so that is, so I, my phone is on top of my stock of lightweights I've got left, and that is a polyester plastic bag, which makes me feel shitty. So I want to change that to a cellulose bag, um, but at the moment, the minimum supply of cellulose, bag, cellulose bags are very high, so I just need to find a supplier who does it cheaply. The other problem is when you're small and you have to find that. So I'm very honest about the fact that I'm not as nearly as good as I could be, but that lightweight jacket, which is the same as this, different colour, um, is uh, is made with uh, ostensibly always trying to find organic cotton, but this is also a blend, so it's got nylon in, but I chose to buy, use something with nylon in, and I was happy to do that, because it's a much tougher jacket for it, and it's a much better working jacket for it, and I will use that compromise, because I want a jacket that will last and I, I don't want to have a jacket made out of the most perfectly sourced fabric if it doesn't do a good enough job because you just go and buy another jacket or you have to buy another jacket a year later uh i could talk a lot more about that was that an okay summary yeah i think so yeah anything I mean, you can poke my buttons you can you can go hang about are you sure about that young man <laughs> Uh, I have seen small companies who do use bags that are not plastic, which are good. Um, I think uh, Heptroco, I just saw that they started using cellulose. Heptroco started using it, and I know Country of Origin, uh, Brighton Knitwear Company, have also been in the forefront there. And both of them are small companies. Yeah. I think in some cases it's easier for a small company to actually turn around and do something like this. And some massive multinational who probably has bags ordered for the next five years and so I'm forth. just going to go through my roller decks of, uh, I'm just going to knock it up the list and, and, and get it done. And I think that's the case with, uh, I think with a small company, you know, I'm a year and a half old. Maybe I'm, I, I shouldn't be, but maybe I'm allowed to get those things wrong and get them better as long as I admit it. Whereas if you're a huge company that says it's green when it's not, and has every opportunity to make itself green and lies about that fact or greenwashes, whatever, then that, that is unforgivable. I'm not saying, hey, we're okay, we've got a free pass. But I think the greater the size of the company, the greater the responsibility and the greater the pressure, and that is fair. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah. Anything more you'd like to include? Oh, oh Just, everything. Um, really want to be keep talking. Yeah, I, I did include a, a, a classic M43 field jacket as my background prop today nice. as, a, as a talking point. Uh, that's the sort of type I used when I was in the army in Norway um, about 30 years ago now. You have national service in Norway? 
we did at the time, not so much these days. Did you like it? It was a shit year and a total waste of time. I hated every moment. Right. You don't strike me as a military person. <laughs> Definitely not. No, I'm not. I'm not. I don't think I'd do very well. No. Okay, Nick. Thanks a lot for the chat. Thank you very and, much. Um, see you soon. Bye-bye. Take care. That's all for this episode of Gomology. If you enjoyed this, please do subscribe and I would really appreciate a good rating. Thanks for listening in and see you next time.